Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I spoke with Chip Brindamore. Um, this episode, like every episode this season, is sponsored by WeAreDapperTized.com. They have a wide selection of colors, patterns, and materials. Uh, go to WeAreDapperTized.com, pick out a tie or two or three, and at checkout, if you enter the promo code TRUTH, you will get free shipping in the continental United States. So we thank them for their sponsorship. Um, a little housekeeping thing, too, uh, or correction, uh, in the last episode with Nick Einstman, I inadvertently uh, or mistakenly stated that Linkin Park performed the theme song for Mission Impossible 2. What I meant to say was Limp Biscuit, not Linkin Park. Um, uh, I wasn't confused. I just said the wrong thing uh, because we had previously talked about Lincoln Park earlier in the conversation. So just wanted to correct that. Um, Chip Brindamore is a musician I've known for the last 25 years or so. We were musical peers when I was in a band in the early to mid nineties and Chip has been playing bass in various bands all over Seacoast, New Hampshire for you know, 30 plus years now. Um, he took some time this Saturday morning and we talked in his office space in Rye, New Hampshire, not far from my new apartment. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I enjoyed chatting with Chip and, uh, hope you will enjoy the conversation as well. Take a listen. I was I halfway through that story. I was like, I could have recorded, but I also like. There's times where I'll listen to an episode of one of these, and I'm like, God, I'm talking more than the other person. But it's for the most part, it's all people that I have some sort of relationship with. So it's right. it's I don't know. It's sort of a organic thing. I did um, for this week. I don't know if you saw. Oh yeah, you must because because. Um, I said, you know, who wants a podcast on Wednesday? Yeah. And um, and you and I had talked before about doing it. So, but I do that. That wasn't like a, oh shit, I can't find anyone to talk to. Let me do. It's just every once in a while, I like to throw it out there just to see someone who I didn't think of who mm. might be interested because I did it a year ago and I had um, my friend Joe Finkel who is like the she basically runs the operations at the casino ballroom and. She's normally a very private person. She even said that. She's like, this scares me to death. That's why I wanted to do it. I was like, cool. You know, and we had a great chat. That was another one of the outdoor recordings. Uh, and we were, there was a little, there's a little park in Portsmouth near um, Cafe Killam, Killeem. Um, and as soon as we started recording, one of the, like, someone was mowing the lawn. Yeah, which I just which realized is, which is have funny. the same situation. It's, 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 yeah, it's not bad at all, though. This was, we were sitting on a bench, and we picked yeah. the bench furthest from where he was. Ten minutes into it, he came over yeah. to our, yeah, it's just one of those things. And I was just, and, you know, Duncan was like, you're fucking killing me, man. You're killing me. So I promised him after that last one that I was telling you about earlier, I was like, all right, I will not record outside at all anymore. Uh, you know. Did you listen to the uh, Mark Marin with Paul Rudd? Yes. Recently. Yeah. 
there's somebody using the leaf blower. Yeah, and they it's were funny harmonizing. I, with I don't remember that was that was pretty great. I don't remember hearing the leaf blower itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they can hear. You know, it's not as perceptible on the microphone as. Right, and they're yeah. also they've got headphones, they've got mics. It's pretty sure. like hardwired, and it's it's so funny because the two podcasts that I do that are like more artistic and you know about like a specific thing I've just got this little handheld thing that I can take anywhere right. the one that where we're just fucking off we're in a you know a clinical studio we've got headphones on we've got mics on it's you know it's soundproofed yeah. I just think it's funny the juxtaposition of is, that. is Duncan the uh, third voice we hear sometimes it is yeah and it's I got him I made him actually take up a mic uh, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about sticks uh, All right, which is funny because <laughs> I actually have sticks playing in the car right now. It's he's so fun because he's a musician, and he's in. He'll be embarrassed for me saying this, but he's a brilliant musician, and you know he teaches at Berkeley. Um, <laughs> I was when we I, I was talking, we were talking before I started recording about how we might have to change the name of the podcast, and so we were batting around names. And one of the things that I did. Uh, I just copied and pasted an album title, which is Fiona Apple's second album, which is the longest album title in history. Um, and But neither one of them knew, you know, like they didn't pick up on the reference. I wouldn't expect anyone to. It's such an arcane thing. But then when, you know, Gary's like, ah, it might be a little wordy because I think it's 93 words wow. in the title. And it's all printed on the cover, but it's basically over a photo of her. And I was like, yeah, it's Fiona album, Apple. It's a... Fiona Apple album, uh, and then Duncan proceeded to go on a rant about like how horrible <laughs> she was, and it's funny because usually the ones, usually the artists that he'll rail against, I've picked up on this. I don't know if it's just, I'm just drawing conclusions or whatnot, but they're all like either piano playing solo artists or bands that are led by a keyboard player and he's a keyboard player himself. So, you know, I mean, I was and, say, you know, and with like, sticks, I could totally understand because Dennis DeYoung is a garbage <laughs> uh, piano player, but, or keyboard player in general. It's just, it's one of those things. I was actually thinking about sticks on driving over here. Cause I was like, I recognize intellectually that they're not a fantastic band, but they entered my life in a point where they're part of my DNA and there's right. nothing I could do about it. Even if I got rid of every sticks album I have, anytime I'm in a hardware store and you know, one of those songs come comes on, it just sparks something in me. It's, I mean, music's yeah. crazy that way. Uh, my sister is like three and a half years older than me. And in the mornings when she was in high school, my dad would be off to work and my mom was a night nurse. She'd be, still coming home from work yeah so my sister's getting ready for high school which was like an hour before i had to get up yeah she would be cranking either paradise theater or any number of queen albums okay so yeah paradise theater uh, <laughs> i might close that door yeah let's do that should have kept talking huh? no it's okay um so yeah paradise theater definitely is like ingrained in my brain queen's one of those bands that like so many people 
And, it, and whenever I spout an opinion about music, I qualify it with, first of all, I'm a music nerd. Secondly, or maybe first of all, I'm a music snob. Secondly, I'm a music nerd. Although you'd never guess from all the, you know, the, the horse shit that I post, but like Queen is a band that, um, I think are an amazing singles band. Like almost every song that most people know by Queen mm-hmm. is phenomenal, but they have a lot of filler on their records too, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. it was also, it could be because I didn't get into Queen until my right. 20s. So I was just like, oh God. Yeah. You know, I would imagine that people who are real uh, Queen fans go for the deep cuts. As mm-hmm. well. Although I haven't met. And I know they're out there. I just haven't met them. Right. I haven't met someone who's super into music who loves Queen. I know a lot of people who love Queen who are casual music fans in general. They're like, Queen's the greatest band in the world. And I'm like, you know, what's your, you know, what do you think of their five best songs? You know, not even to try and quantify it, just curious. Because I love hearing other people's opinions about music and art. That's how I get turned on to new stuff. Um, and it's always, you know, like, I want to break free, uh, you know. These are the days of our life. They're all songs that are singles. And I'm like, I get it. Those are great songs. But right. I was like, tell me a song that wasn't a single that is a fantastic song that I should check out. And they're like, uh, I, I don't know. I just own their three greatest hits albums. I'm like, oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, for a long time, I was very anti-greatest hits. Uh, and now I, I'm, it's weird. I, I listen to a lot of greatest hits in my car, but almost any artist that I'm listening to a greatest hits, I also own usually their entire discography as well. I have like a weird fascination with the juxtaposition of like either the band put this compilation together and this is their opinion of what their best output is, or it's something that's done by the record label and they're like, well, here's 14 singles from the last 10 years. You know, Mm. it's just kind of an interesting like commerce over artistic you know, Absolutely. merit. So I don't know. Yeah. So what was like, what's you, what's your earliest memory of music? Like, um, well, or music that moved you, I guess. I used to live at Hampton beach. Mm-hmm. My parents had a restaurant there and we'd go up to the seashell stage for the yeah. concerts all the time. Yeah. So, it was uh, a lot of big band. Back then, I think they had the same big band, Stan Bednar's yep. Hampton Beach Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Who, in later years, turned out to be my band director at Wanakana High School. Oh, cool. And I actually played some gigs with his band on the Seashell stage eventually. Nice. So that that's one thing uh, that I remember is getting me into, interested in music. Yeah. We also, from our the third floor of the building that my parents owned... Back in that day, you could see through the windows into the casino ballroom. Oh, okay. So you could, uh, you could watch concerts from... Sure. You could certainly hear them from the porch up there. So what time frame are you talking about, early 80s? No, it'd probably be 70s. So okay, okay. Was, you know, in my pre-teen years. Mm. Okay, so... Herb you were Reed young. and the original platters. Right. Things like that. Up right. with people. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like, you know, I, I I've worked at the casino off and on over the course of like fifteen years, and uh, God, it's even longer than that now because it was. I was working there in two thousand one, 
because we we didn't have a show on September 11th. We had a show on September 12th, 2001. It was hmm. Shaggy because um, uh, someone someone got a someone snuck a gun into the show. Wonderful. Um, just had it in their waistband, but was got into an altercation with so not a physical altercation, just like you know, you know two guys good. waving their dicks around. And he lifted up his shirt to show off that he had a gun, and of course, they told security, which because it was September twelfth, two thousand one, we called Hampton Police, and they yeah. you know it was dealt with. But it was uh, yeah, it's um, it's always been to me sort of my perception of the casino ballroom, and I, I and it must have evolved over time, but it's always. People who you're going to hear of in two to three years, or people that were relevant 15 to 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. So, of course, it's back there. Right? <laughs> we can't win. It's, I, I'm. Fortunately, there's no lawn back there. Yeah, I'm fully convinced that there are uh, landscapers all over the seacoast who's just like, "Where's he recording now?" All right, I'm on it. I will. <laughs> I'll just circle the lot with it going. Maybe we should do a podcast of just lawnmower noises. That would be great. I bet we probably couldn't get a lot more to show up at that. Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, most like artists and actors, you know, lawn care professionals are very uh, flaky bunch. Mm. Uh, what do you do? You think he's going to come back around? See, that's a very small strip of grass that he did there. I think he's done. There's one over there. I'm wonder, I'm sure if I open the door, he's going to come back. But, probably. Uh, it's uh, for those listening, we're 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 sitting in the. I don't know if you want this kept secret or not, uh, where we're at. Uh, no. We're at Mailforce Inc. HQ um, with the with the bay door, and we had the front door open. I just got up to close it because it's a, it's a muggy late July day. Um, I sweat very easily. I don't know about yourself. Uh, yes. It's, uh, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day about that. I was like, I don't mind if I'm working hard sweating. It's going to do like once I'm done with that task I don't want to go do anything else if I'm all sweaty right un- until I've like showered what I hate the most about days like this yeah is when you take a shower yeah. and before you get your clothes on you're, you're sweaty. already sweaty yeah and you can't get your clothes on right yeah that was uh God, that, that was four years in Arizona oh that was, uh, that's supposed to be a dry heat though the only people that say that are people who don't live in Arizona. Wow. Like it's one of those. It's not like an Arizona catchphrase. I mean, it's what people say about Arizona. There is a part of the year, basically like November to March, where it's very dry. Um, but like late June to mid October is monsoon season. Ah. So almost every day. There'll be a torrential downpour for anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes, and it feels great. And then 10 minutes after it's done, it's oppressively humid. It's, you know, so you're in 110 degree heat with 90% humidity. It's just one of those things that I'm like, God, people are not supposed to live in this. Like, I get why people did 100 years ago. You were headed to California and the wagon broke down. Okay, (laughs) we live here now. Uh, and there, you know, and there's gold and silver and whatnot in Arizona too, or at least there was. But so, why'd you move there? Uh, we had that about nine years ago. We had that really bad ice storm. I was living on the beach in Hampton, not Hampton Beach though. Although I have lived at Hampton Beach mm-hmm. as well, uh, North Beach. 
and we had that ice storm where we lost power for like 36 hours, which yeah. is not bad compared to like people in Maine lost power for like two months. Right. Um, but it was very cold. And because we lived in a beach house and you know, it was mostly glass, tough right. to keep warm. So, you know, we tacked up quilts and stuff over the sliding doors and everything, but it was just one of those things that I was like, I don't want to live somewhere where if the power is out for an extended period of time, you could die. Because it was, you know, there's a there's a boiler for, you know, because it was a it was a duplex. There's no fireplace. There's nothing like that. So the way that, you know, man has been keeping themselves warm for tens of thousands of years, we didn't have that option in the house. So my brother had gone to school out in Arizona. I knew the cost of living was cheaper out there. I knew it was warmer out there. And I was working for Best Buy at the time, so I found wow. that I could transfer. It was actually it was one of those things that I had applied for a job with Best Buy in Hawaii, and it came down to me and one other person. And they gave it to the other person, which I was pissed at the time because uh, who wouldn't want to live in Hawaii? And it's the only way you can really live in Hawaii is if you have employment lined up because they don't hi- – like you can't go to Hawaii and pick up you know the want ads. It's hmm. – I mean the way Hawaii is set up is uh, because it is – one of the United States, but it is also um, the nation of Hawaii. Uh, and like they have certain rules, like Bank of America is not allowed in Hawaii. It's the only state in the United States that Bank of America has no presence. They uh, Basically, Hawaii can vet any corporation that's coming in there and decide based on their corporate policies and practices whether or not they're allowed on the island. And hmm. they, they have that say. Uh, any company... Like new company that's in there, I think it's like the first five years, your employees has to be something like 70% native Hawaiian. Uh, and then each like five-year increment after that, it goes down to like 65, whatever. Um, so it's really hard for especially big companies to go mm-hmm. in there um, because typically big companies, when they move to a new territory, they bring people from another location to train and instill where this is, you can bring those people in to train Hawaiian employees, mm-hmm. but, um, cause it's one of the things because the Hawaiian people are losing property, you know, it's, they're basically being forced out of places that they've lived for, you know, thousands of years. So it's one of those things that, um, the position that I had, cause I, at the time with Best Buy, I was, a um, I worked for the projects team, which went in and installed, displays for stores and I was the cable guy. So there was, um, there was only one of us on each team and there's, you know, in the company at the time, I think there was maybe 30 projects teams. So one of the rules was you had to already have this position. They wouldn't train anyone for it. Um, so that automatically made the pool like 30 people in the Mm. whole company. And then you had to have been with the company at least five years at the time, which eliminated at least half of them. Uh, and then it was, there was some other certifications that I had that you had to have because basically in s- these were new stores at the time. They, there's two in Hawaii. And instead of having an entire projects team, like most districts had, there would be one person and you would do all the stuff because it's two stores instead of 10. Hmm. So it's rather than hiring an entire team and you would have people from the two stores help you. But, but also because of how it was set up, um, they couldn't hire a ton of people uh, who were not native Hawaiian, and they um, 
they didn't want to spend the money to train people on this stuff. So it's basically we're going to take an employee who's who's trained on all this stuff, and that's where they could get around it too, being like, well, he has all of the he or she, right. but the fact of the matter, it was me and another guy, so it was he. Um, yeah, you know, he has all the qualifications. If you have someone applying for the job, you know, who's native, who has all these qualifications, we'll consider them, but they didn't. Um, but it just came down to, cause it wasn't even, there was no pay increase, even though it was, uh, and, and cost of living was cost of living is now. the highest in the nation. And, um, and I knew that I had been to Hawaii before, but they gave it to a guy from Los Angeles who, even though he made, I think he was like $3 an hour more than me. They knew like it would be less of a adjustment, a, adjustment for him. But Six months after they transferred him, they eliminated the position <laughs> and didn't – they couldn't place him anywhere else. So he was basically – he just showed up to work one day. Hey, you don't work for this company anymore. Sorry. In Hawaii. In Hawaii. So <laughs> it worked out for me in the long run because I would have been screwed because, yeah. you know – and You'd be living on the streets in Hawaii. <laughs> right. And, and we were at the point where we were trying to figure out – like we were all set to go. Who's we? Uh, me and my, my girlfriend at the time. Uh. Um we were making plans. Um, we were down to one car at that point and, you know, to ship the car astronomical. And I was like, what it would cost to ship it. We could take that same amount and buy a decent car out there or say, sell this one. And, you know, cause there's a ton of, you know, cars that have, I mean, cars out there don't have a lot of miles on them. It's a, you know, even, right. the, even the biggest Island is not a big Island. So, I mean, you can drive the entire perimeter of Oahu in five hours. Hmm. So, because I did that last time I was out there, I just put the ocean to my right, kept kept going on the, the island. It was it was it was cool. I mean, there's one quadrant of the island that we couldn't go to at the time because they were filming Lost out there still, <laughs> and they had like it's like eight square miles of the of the island that they were shooting on. But anyway, wow. so it didn't work out. But we had already like made all the preparations to get ready to move because it was. You'd have two weeks to get out there. So we were paring everything down. So we're already done with that. And we're like, okay, well, what about Arizona? And it was kind of, we had both thought about moving out west anyway. So we're like, fuck it. Let's, let's see if we can transfer to Arizona. We were both worked for Best Buy at the time. So hmm. we were able to transfer with the company. Went out there. We lived outside of Phoenix for a year. And then that's when we decided to open the record store. And so... We both left Best Buy to try and do a record store. Um, she's actually still out there. She um, and, and we're still friends. Um, she's actually we moved to this tiny little town called Jerome, uh, and she has moved out of and moved back to Jerome. I think three times since then. But uh, yeah, she's there now. She's she's working in a vineyard and working. Uh, she, she works for Maynard James Keenan, the singer from Tool. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, she's, she's worked at his vineyard and his, his retail store for a while. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that's how we first discovered the town. We were on the mailing list for his vineyard and didn't know anything about the town, went and fell in love with the town. When we got there, it's this weird little town of 400 people up on a mountain. Uh, but Neat. it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tourist attraction. So, um, whenever I think of you living in Arizona, I can just picture, you know, the Dow of Steve and you're like fixing a motorcycle and throwing frisbees on the roof. <laughs> I don't, I've never been on a motorcycle. <laughs> um, it's funny because a couple of weeks ago I threw out, uh, 
because I didn't I didn't have use of a vehicle for a little while, and I was like, hey, does anyone have a car I can borrow for a week? Because it quickly became apparent that it wasn't economically efficient to rent a car. You know, that's for sure. Uh, especially in July, I found out July is the month that more people rent a car than any other month. So mm. it was like 110 bucks a day, whereas you know, October it's like 70 dollars a day. So I had two different people reach out to me and be like. You can use my motorcycle for the week if you want. And I was like, I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. But also, I mainly needed it for my bread delivery job and, you know, bringing, you know, uh, you know, uh, 14 dozen loaves of bread on a motorcycle. is not, not really feasible. <laughs> I think this, it's probably been done in some third world countries. I'm sure. On their heads. Everything's just piled up higher and higher. Um, yeah, it's... Arizona, I, it was funny, I... I got used to, because I bartended and I had the record store, um, I could walk the three blocks from my apartment to the record store with, I think it was 12 steps in, in the sunlight, and the rest was all in the shade. I had figured out a way through, <laughs> through because even at 8 in the morning, it's 95 degrees, and it's, I mean, here... Yeah, shade is nicer, but it's easily 20 degrees cooler in the shade there than it is. It was, I mean, hmm. I don't know if it's because it's a mile high up, um, you know, and who knows what our elevation here is, maybe 40 feet above sea level. Um, but it was just, it was one of those things that I was like, I, I avoided the sun as much as possible. Where most of my friends out there were outdoorsy and, you know, yeah. you have a nice, you know, nice brown complexion, you know. 350 days out of the year and they're like hey we're gonna go hike i was like enjoy i yeah. won't I, you won't see me um uh but yeah it was as soon as not as soon as i got out there but like once we were up there i was like why the hell did i move to arizona what what the hell was i thinking but yeah. it was one of those things too that i had i had lived on the seacoast since we moved in 1988 and i had never left the seacoast i mean even when i went to college i went to college in boston and lived up mm. here took the cmj down twice a week and i was like if i don't do it now i'm never gonna do it and i'm gonna be 70 and be like yeah. i wish i had done going to some place like arizona has never had any yeah. appeal to me i like having the ocean somewhere if i always have an idea of where the ocean is i know which way is up well that was the that was the thing i didn't realize how much I loved being near the ocean until I wasn't near the ocean. Mm. I mean, Arizona is, so it's, it's about an eight hour drive from LA to LA, but that's not even the ocean you want to go to if you're going out there. I mean, yes, technically there is water meeting sand there, but mm. you know, you can, you can drive to San Diego or something like that much better. Uh, so it's like nine hours. Um, I mean, there's very little water in Arizona and I've always, I mean, I, I took for granted because I grew up in Exeter and then lived all around here. And I was always a 20-minute drive from the ocean. And I ne it, never, it never really dawned on me until the last 10 years how small the New Hampshire coastline is. I mean, it's mm. what, 11 miles. You know, it's, if you look at the map of New Hampshire, it's, that it's like 1% surface area of New Hampshire's border. It's crazy. But, yeah, I mean... We lived in Maryland before this, and we were, you know, maybe an hour from the ocean then. It was just, yeah, I've always been close to the ocean. Um, I have a, 
friend who close friend who's from here who moved to uh, San Diego or not San Diego, San Francisco, uh, about a year and a half ago. And she sends me pictures of the coast all the time. And it's just one of those things. That, and she's like, I love being by the ocean. She's like, this is the only thing I like about it here. Cause it, she feels very isolated out there. And I'm just hmm. like, well, at least you got the ocean. You know? yeah. I don't know. Um, have you, have you lived in the seacoast your whole life? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't even done that much traveling. No desire to, uh, no, just no money or time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, money is definitely a factor. Although, if you do, I did my trip last fall, and I, I think I stayed in five hotels the whole mm-hmm. trip. The rest was just crashing on people's couches. Yeah. Which was great. Um, I, even then, though, like, I got maybe 10 days from home and I, I had completely run out of money. Oh. It was one of those things that, I mean, I hadn't run out of money quite yet, but it was one of those things I, I was like, coming. Uh, well, and I looked at what I had and, uh, uh, cause I had just completely thrown caution to the wind for this. And it was, you know, it was sort of with the understanding, uh, that that was going to be the case. But, and luckily I had some friends who, you know, bought some art and stuff like that. And I was able to make it home, but it was, uh, that's why I didn't make it to Hawaii and Alaska. I was just like, I didn't have the money for it. I mean, I even had a couple friends who were like, like, what's it going to cost for you to get? And I was like, plane ticket, this and that. And I was like, it's probably like, 1800 more dollars and i was like I, it's not in the cards and they're like oh shit and they're like i can give you like a thousand i was like <laughs> i i'm like that is super generous of you but i would i would feel incredibly indebted even if yeah. you were saying it was a gift and it still wouldn't get me there you know what i mean so it's just one of those things that I, but at this point alaska is the only state i haven't been to ah. and um i had originally thought about doing a trip this fall to try and hit that up uh just with work and everything changing so much i don't think it's in the cards now but um maybe next year uh i'm probably going to take a week and go out to california in the fall visit my friend and you know just take a little little vacation but Mm. uh either that or depending on how work goes during during the holidays save some money and actually go somewhere in like January or something like that. Cause every year, cause I've, I've worked retail for so long, you know, right. January is the, the great fallout where nobody's spending any money. So you're sitting at the retail shop, twiddling your thumbs for hours and hours at a time. And I was right. like, that would be the great time to go on vacation. But I'm all, everyone's broke at that point, including myself. So I'm like, all right, well with three jobs, maybe if I <laughs> theoretically put some money away, maybe I can do it. They said you, Attended uh, bar in Arizona, mm-hmm. so you've got that skill. Yeah, there's lots of bars around here. They all seem to be busy. That was the that was the thing that when I first moved back, I was trying to find, and I did get a couple offers at places in Ogunquit. Um Particularly, there's there's a couple bear bars, and which I I don't you care. Get hit on all the time. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's funny. I've got. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I was going to say I have a friend, but you actually uh, know, know a friend in common, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Fisher, who yeah. every once in a while I would comment on something on Facebook and he'd, he'd have a friend and be like, who's that? <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, hey man, you ever come down to Atlanta and we got a couple bars, you won't have to buy a drink all night. And I was like, sweet. He's like, I hope you, hope you don't care. I was like, I just like feeling pretty. You know? yeah. It's fine. But uh yeah, it was one. It was more just the fact that 
the Ogunquit thing, two, no, not two years ago. It was like four years ago that I checked it out. It was a seasonal thing, and it was basically five days a week. Um, and I was like, I don't want to give up my entire summer driving to Ogunquit every day. I mean, which is, it's funny mm, I say that because yeah. I drove to, to Nashua five days a week for four years. You know, it's an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes each way. So getting to a, a Gunquit beach could mean like a couple hours of traffic. It's crazy. Just, it's the last couple miles. For the, for the bread delivery that I do, um, I deliver to three places on York Beach. Um, although, no, two of them are actually on or near the beach, and then one of them's in York before you head towards the beach. And one of them's a fart and stand, one of them's uh, a place right on the beach. And um, two months ago, I could drive on 1A, and that's the fastest way to get to the place on the beach. And now I'll take the back way in because 1A can add 10 to 15 minutes just because it's everyone trying to find a parking space on the beach. Sure. It's insane. Um, and that's the thing, too. I've had a couple people, because because it's busier everywhere, my, my travel time increases. So what used to take me five hours now takes me six and a half hours. So I think you should learn to ride a motorcycle and carry bread on your head. That's a good idea. It'd be a lot easier. Then. Yeah, or just, you know, buy a really sturdy drone and just deliver bread that way. It's the wave of the future. It's yeah. It's I don't know. It's a, it, go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, so you just had you just had Chipapalooza. Yes. Which was uh, uh, so. It was your, it was your fiftieth birthday celebrate. How how was that? By the way, it was awesome. Nice. It really went well. I had a blast. How many uh, how many performers? Um, how, how did it go down? I unfortunately wasn't able to make it, but. Um, let's see. My wife and her musical partner started the show, played yep. about an hour. That's, um, Edie LaFrance, Brindamore, and Sandra Kosky. And then Gene Guth, uh, played drums with them. Okay. Then, uh, it was Gene, Bob Halpern, and I. Bob is a, uh, Portsmouth blues legend. Right. I've played a few gigs with recently and really enjoy playing with him. Then we got uh, Chuck Wenzel from Rhythm Method Up, uh, Mike Feligno from 52nd Street Band, Yamika Peterson, who's family affair, Yamika's Groove Train, yeah. a million different manifestations of her thing. And then we did the uh, Spidey and the Overgod reunion, which is Gene Guth, Michael Spidey Blout, and uh, Mark Vangel, so I'm, my band from early 90s. And We've probably, since the 90s, played three times. Okay. Just like a couple songs here and there or whatever. Is that a pre-Choosy Moms band? Yes. Okay. Just just before Choosy Moms. Okay. And it's kind of wacky, uh, progressive music. Lots of odd time signatures and yeah. stuff. And trying to relearn the songs every <laughs> 10 years is like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to play this. Right. Right, and and play, and playing bass in it, yeah, as well, yeah, a lot of counting, but it's fun, <laughs> and uh, so that was the highlight of the night for a lot of uh, my friends who remember that band. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. And then after that, we did a couple songs uh, as Fifty Second Street Band, 
which is Mike Feligno and drummer Joel Herod. Okay. So I don't know how many people that was. Sure. Were you counting? It's um, at least two and <laughs> less than 40. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, it was really cool. It was, you know, I was hoping to do a Shag Bark reunion. Yeah. But uh, lead singer Mickey uh, was recently ill with a, an ulcer. And oh. Couldn't uh, muster the strength to sure. sing. Uh, that would have been cool. Yeah. I'll have to do that next time. Shag Bark was your post Choosing Moms band, correct? Yeah. It was a kind there's of a some, big gap. Some over, wasn't there? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when Mickey and I decided to get back and do music again yeah. after a little hiatus, Choosy Moms, if you remember, had the, the big circus going on with right. jugglers and right. Newport riders and artists on stage. We wanted to make it simpler. Sure. So basically, Mickey and I were musical partners all through Choosy Moms and then Shag Bark. Well, and you guys were the only two constant members in choosy moms uh right uh, we had drummers and guitarists in and out yeah 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 don't know why just the way it worked i mean it's funny i i used to joke to people that choosy moms was a lot like the red hot chili peppers and that you know i was like yeah i was the bass player and the singer were the constant right uh, it was a rotating thing i mean i think i first got introduced to you uh uh because Kevin Hartson was playing drums for you at right. the time, and you guys had put out the One Iota cassette. was one of the first local uh, releases that I remember purchasing. I bought it at hmm. Exeter Music. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, it might have been the first cassette that I owned that somebody I knew had played on. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that, but, like, hmm. I mean, I knew of a lot of the local people, but like I actually knowing Kevin, I was like, Whoa, I know somebody yeah. who's on a, a cassette tape. Um, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, was that, that was your first release? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When was that? 91, 92. Like <sighs> I think that's probably right. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And then I'm horrible with remembering when things actually happened. <laughs> well, when that, came out you guys were just called choosy moms and right. then then the name expanded to choosy moms funky dance carnival right know. and part of that was there was a band from new york called choosy mothers similar with your podcast issues right so we, actually through mail force i got into contact with the leader of choosy mothers once yeah um i think i ended up doing a mailing for him i can't remember the details of that but I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in a band called Cheesy Moms. He's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you guys. Um, just so you know, uh, I don't care, but my lawyer might. Like, oh. Yeah. We're going to go that route, are we? Right. <laughs> and as far as I knew, they hadn't played in New Hampshire, and I wasn't playing in New York. So right. I was like, so it doesn't really matter. But then we had, when we started adding all the artists and jugglers right. and what have you, I think it was, it was um, Drew from uh, – Fly Spinach Fly, who also wrote for the Portsmouth Herald, yeah, and may have done a review for our first record, yeah, that called us the Choosy Moms Funky Dance Carnival, right? And so we're like, "Hey, that works. That's pretty good." Yeah, so that's what we put on the next release. Yeah, that um, we went through that. Uh, my my band that I played in, you know, around that same time because we we started out being called Sam I Am, and then this band from Chicago who got signed to Atlantic called Sam I am as well. Yeah. 
So we're like, okay, I guess we should. I mean, we never heard from them. We're just like, well, there's a band signed to a, a, a you yeah, know, can, major Can label. either band claim any sort of rights to that? Or right. Dr. Seuss going to go? Exactly. It's mine. And and uh, and I think Dr. Seuss was still alive at that point. Um, <laughs> they spell it all. Certainly his publishing company. Yeah, they spelled it all as one word. So it's like uh, Samium. Right. Uh, so we that's when we became Hank for many years. And then years later, a band that we had played with. A bunch in Massachusetts started using the name Hank and threatened legal action with us. You'd already played with them, and then they started with using the name. Yeah, um, and they had signed some management deals, so it was basically like, we know you've been using it longer, but we're actually more of a quote-unquote professional band, so we're going to use it. So, so we ended up changing it to Watership Down at that point. Of, of all the band names in the world, yeah, they decided to choose Hank. Yeah. And they and already was, knew that you were Hank. Well, it was one of those things that, like, I guess one of the guys' uncles was Hank, and he was their band mascot or whatnot. It, whatever. It had, at that point, we didn't really care. I had come up with Hank because we were because it's tough to come up with a good band name. I mean, it was certainly tough. <laughs> That's for sure. Twenty five years ago, I can't even imagine trying to do it now because there are so many bands and projects that ev- everything is taken. Um, so it's just one of those things we were batting stuff around and I literally had looked at, there was a, it was details magazine had done a photo shoot with Henry Rollins. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, Anton Corbin. I don't know if you know him. He's, he's, the same he's a Dutch, uh, maybe Swedish photographer, video director. He, he, <coughs> he's photographed you two. He's photographed his, He's like he's Depeche Mode's photographer, but he also works with other people. But he's got like really uh, super washed out blacks. He shoots almost exclusively black and white, and it's very like very inky looking. But uh, there was a he had done a photo shoot with Henry Rollins for details, and I was like, "Eh, "What about Hank?" And they're like, Mm -hmm. "Okay." So it's just kind of you know joke, but yeah, I like. The one word band names, but yeah. that makes it even more likely that somebody's already picked it. <laughs> yeah, and it makes tough. it a nightmare for search engines now. But I mean, oh yeah, mm-hmm. back then it, we didn't know what the internet was. I think, I think ninety four was when the internet was f- first officially a thing. But hmm. I didn't know anyone who used the internet back then. I, yeah, know we had a website for Choosy Mom's Funky Dance Carnival. So yeah, that was probably the what was right the, about that time? When did uh, when did Choosy Moms, like, officially cease to... The last time we played together was my wedding, which was in 98. Okay. So 20 years now. Um, though we had sort of fallen apart before that. Sure. Just, I think just before our uh, CD came out, Scandals at the Bingo Hall, is when Rob moved to well, Washington, D.C. first yeah. and then Georgia. Yeah, 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 because he's been down in Georgia for almost 10 years now. Uh, and um, so after that, we were hiring guitarists to keep doing shows and sure. promote the CD that we just made. Like, right. what do you mean, Rob? We just right. That was, a, that was a, a sad thing when he told us he was leaving. Yeah, yeah. He of of all the people that I've worked with musically, he's by far like probably the most talented. Certainly the the most one of the most creative music, musically. I mean, he's still, you know, he has his home studio set up now. And, you know, I got to, I, I was lucky enough. I got to 
I got to crash with him for a night when I was on my trip last year, and you know I talked to him on the podcast. But it's it's funny. I've known Rob. Rob and I went to high school together, but mm. he's you know he's three or four years ahead. No, he's three years ahead of me, and uh, he's one of those people that our musical tastes are all over the place, but we have like eerily similar tastes. So like we would run into each other all the whole time he was in college. We would see each other like once a year when he would be back here for the holidays visiting his parents and like we he'd see me at Best Buy or something like that and be like quick what are you listening to right now and you know yeah. he'd give me a list and then I'd give him a list and we'd go check out stuff like that and so it's it's pretty funny and we'll, we'll still nerd out about music all the time so I think it's funny how many uh, 80s hair bands metal shows he still goes to oh yeah well he plays in a the band that he plays in I, they're not hair metal but it's sort of it's almost like power metal, um, yeah. and but there's a he also works a lot of those like metal festivals and stuff, and a lot of those bands come through there, and it's one of those things that like he'll pop up on social media every once in a while because he's not on there all that much, and uh, you know because I tend to post a lot of stuff that I'm listening to, and uh, there's a there's a there's a good swath of '80s bands that I still listen to, although the other day because uh, I'm going through my collection and trying to hair stuff down right now the, the there's ebbs and flows with my many collections where it, it gets ridiculous and i'm like i gotta get rid of some of this stuff and mm. so i had a box and i found a couple warrant cds and i was like all right so i listened to those in the car and i was like i cannot justify having these in my collection anymore i mm. was like yes i know the words to all these songs on this one that's not a good thing i was like <laughs> it's just a thing yeah. And I was like, you know, because it came out when I was, uh, what was it, 99, so I was 15 when it came out. I was like, yeah, I get it. it you know, it was it was 18 months before the grunge thing happened. They were huge. And it, it's funny because it was, so it was the Cherry Pie album. And then the album after that, Dog Eat Dog, which is like clearly they saw what was happening with grunge. And because they're all wearing hmm. black leather, none of them have their hair teased up. All their hair is greasy and hanging down and, you know dark photos instead of them all smiling and dancing, you know, with a, a scantily clad woman, they're all very serious looking at it. <laughs> but so I brought them in and, you know, I brought them to Bull Moose, trade them in and Tom Collette's looking, he's like, I remember this. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't need it in my collection anymore. He's like, I don't know if you ever needed it. He's <laughs> like, thanks Tom. I was like, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. It was speaking of Tom Coletta, you yeah. were talking about, Choosy Moms being one of the first local tapes you bought. I think yeah. Donnie's Lunchbox was like they were the first. I was I was arguing with Tom about this that same day at Paul Moose because I said I said Tom you're the you were the first local band to release a CD as far as I know. He's like no, no thanks to Gravity I went for it. I was like they put out their EP before you, but it was only a cassette originally. He's like I don't know. I was like I do know because I <laughs> talked to Sean Daniels a year ago about it and brought yeah. it up and. Uh, I mean, Sean didn't play on that one, but he was in the band when they finally released it on CD. So it was like, because I think it was post Avogadro's number that they released the EP on CD hmm. uh, to kind of like get seed money to make the uh, um, Sonata Brutale oh, yeah. record, but uh, or CD. I call everything a record, even though back then nobody was releasing records. That was the, the 90s was a dry period for vinyl. Um which, I don't know. So when you, 
was it was there a lot of music playing at your house growing up? I mean, you talked about your sister. Playing yeah, stuff, but that was that was it pretty much. Was it cassettes or was it was it records? No, we had records. To, okay, yeah. so yeah, because you're you're seven and a half years older than me. So um, when I started buying music, it was kind of the end of the cassette era and the beginning of the CD era. Mm-hmm. I mean, CDs were around, but not everyone bought CDs at that point. It was a couple years into it that everyone kind of transitioned to CDs. So LPs were looked at as a thing of the past then. Um, I remember I had a bunch of records because I joined the Columbia House mm-hmm. thing where you get, you know, like 14 CDs for a penny or whatever. But after I had signed up, they sent this thing where, because they were doing a clearance of all their LPs because no one was buying LPs anymore. And it was, I think it was, you buy any full price CD and you could get as many records as you wanted for a dollar a piece. And I was like, oh, cool, because my parents had a turntable. So I got, I remember one of the ones that I got was uh, the Grateful Dead Skeletons from the Closet, Mm -hmm. which I had never heard the Grateful Dead. I knew nothing about the Grateful Dead. I had just seen their shirts in high school, people wearing them. And they're all skeletons and skulls and everything. Mm. Roses. Right. Uh, Yeah, a lot of that imagery. So I just assumed, also based on the people wearing them, long hair, usually the, you know, the Voketech kids, um, you know, the 'er ne'er-do-wells in high school. I was like, (laughs) I assumed the Grateful Dead were metal. Yeah. I think I had that same. And I put it on, and I think, like, Uncle John's band, like, the second or third song, I was like, what the hell is this shit? <laughs> I was like, this is like old grandpa music. Yeah. And it was, and it's funny because I've come to appreciate the Grateful Dead, sure. uh, but it was just not what I was expecting at all. And it's one of the bands that I remember in high school that, because, you know, I was raised a pastor's kid and we weren't really allowed to listen to secular music. So I had to kind of like sneak stuff. I heard you mention that on the podcast yeah. recently. I'm like, really? Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. But, uh, but it's funny because it's kind of like, you know, my mom, when I had the record store in Arizona, was like, I just don't understand this obsession with music that you have. And I was just like, oh, first of all, I mean, I think music's great, but it's one of those things that I was like, it's kind of your fault. I'm like, if you would yeah. just let me keep those Motley Crue tapes when I was, you know, 15, it would have been a phase. But because you told me they were satanic and <laughs> horrible, I'm like, I, I have a lifelong fascination with this shit now. Um, but... uh yeah, it was just uh, one one of the bands that I remember when I started buying metal, and by metal I mean like Warrant, Def Leppard, Poison, stuff like mm-hmm. that. One of the bands that I was like, well, I can't listen to them. They're too dangerous, too evil, is Iron Maiden. And it's funny because I listen to Iron Maiden now, and it's almost like quaint. I'm just mm-hmm. like the fact that anyone ever thought that they were satanic and whatnot, I'm just like, it's power metal. It's like, I mean... I, I enjoy it, but it's it's there's a, a degree of silliness to it because you know it's I'm like it's guys all pushing sixty now who have been yeah. playing this for forty years, and I'm just like it's ridiculous. It's funny back in the cheesy moms days, I remember uh, thinking that uh, Rush, uh, Farewell to Kings was pretty heavy. Yeah, but Rob Fisher was like, that's not heavy. Yeah, <laughs> man, he was into. Heavy oh yeah, shit, yeah. Which uh, I can't really get into at all. It's so funny too because he he does like heavy stuff, but he's also super into vocal harmonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 
Bob Mould is probably his favorite songwriter, right. uh, which is a big thing that we've you know bonded over over the years. And uh, you know, he's a couple years ago there was a record store day thing that, and it wasn't even something for sale; it was just a giveaway. It was a Bob Mould interview disc and like some acoustic things. And he's just like, "If you see one, can you grab it for me?" Because they didn't have any stores that participate in record store day near him. So I found one. He was super psyched on that, and he's got to meet him a couple times and. Um, you know, a few years ago, I, I made those What Would Husker Do bumper stickers mm. and sent him a, a few of those. So I know he's got at least one of them on his gear, uh, his, you know, his, his base rig. But, yeah, he he's into some really some really heavy stuff. Not as much as back in the day, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, – it's so funny because I got into a lot of music. Most of my friends, when I first got into music, were into metal. Yeah. And – a lot of the heavier stuff that I've listened to is like far surpassed like the the heavy stuff that they listened to back in high school. But you know, it's I've also gotten away from that. I don't listen to much new heavy music. It's just yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think with music you hit that sweet spot between when you're like twelve and sixteen, seventeen, whatever like really resonates with you then will still resonate a note in you for the rest of your life like you know your musical taste can change and expand but there's something about that that always kind of stays that way because i can listen to stuff from that time frame that i'm like objectively i could listen to this and say this is not great or you know there's stuff that's way better than this but i have a connection to it that i don't have to other stuff now it's i mean rush is a great example of that's a band that i was always aware of but never never listened to a rush album until probably six years ago mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean i knew all the you know i knew tom sawyer fly by sure. night all the you know but they're not a super radio heavy band there's maybe half a dozen rush songs just this, yeah a few played. songs yeah yeah and um they're one of those bands that i can really appreciate intellectually but just don't have that connection emotionally with hmm. i don't know um are you are you a big rush fan yeah that's probably my most favorite. Yeah, it's it's funny. I probably of all the musicians I know across different genres, right. Rush tends to be a through line with a lot of people. I don't know because I think you're the fourth bassist I've talked to on here too. So that could be too because yeah, I mean it's certainly a big bass influence for sure. Yeah. Um, did you ever do you ever play with bass pedals at all? No. I, um, my friend Spidey yeah. has some because he used to be in a Rush cover band, okay, tribute band, I guess. Yeah. Called. Um, he was playing the guitar part, Alex Lifeson part, but he had the pedals. As okay, well. yeah. I it's funny. I didn't know like I would because I'm one of those people that pours over liner notes, mm-hmm. and I would see bass pedals. And I think it, I think the first time I was ever aware of it was on a Motley Crue album with Nikki Six. Uh, I can't even think of a Motley Crue song that has mm. bass pedals on it, but. He was also one of the first people I saw who played like an eight string, a twelve string bass. Which you think of Motley Crue song, you don't think of really complex bass lines. No. I'm just like I, I think he just did that just to have it. Right. But um, yeah, I, it, it wasn't until years later that somebody actually explained to me how bass pedals worked, and they're like, "Well, Geddy Lee primarily uses them because he's playing keyboards as well." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I mean, it blew my mind once I started getting into the Rush catalog, listening to how complex and dense the sound are and i'm like 
this is three human beings yeah. making all of this music. Did you ever see them live? You probably didn't never know. saw them live. I mean, I have uh, like four or five live albums. Up until the 40th anniversary tour, I had every thing that Rush released because mm-hmm. I'm one of those completists. Yeah. Well, I have been one of those completists, and then I started going, you know, I don't need nine live Rush albums. I don't like Rush that much. I like Rush. I don't like them that much. Yeah. Um, so I think I've kept, because I have a three box sets that are all their um, Mercury albums, because they, they did a cycle of, they would do four albums, then a live album, right. four albums, live albums. So, so each one has got five CDs in it. And, you know, and it's capped with the live album. So I have those. And then I think I've kept uh, Presto and Roll the Bones and maybe Counterpoint. And then Counterparts. Counterparts. Yeah. Um, that was a, I remember when that came out when I was in high school because there's, there's a pair of naked breasts in the many Counterparts pictures. And I was yeah. like, how are they able to do this? Which, you know, I've since discovered there's hundreds of albums. You know. <laughs> You know, I mean, and and I certainly don't think Rush will ever be, con- you know, accused of being one of those bands that using sex appeal to sell their records. Right. So, but um, who 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 are some of your other musical influences? Um, I'm gonna open the door while we're oh, okay. talking because I think he's- I uh, got into the Red Hot Chili Peppers pretty heavy. Yeah. With, with uh, Mother's Milk. Yeah. And then Blood Sugar Sex Magic. To me, it's just like one of the best albums ever. And that's, listening to Chili Peppers, uh, you know, I went from the complete Getty Lee influence of bass playing to adding the funk and some slap and stuff, which which I think was pretty much around the same time that Choosy Mom started and right. certainly the heavily influence on that band. Do you still... Do you still slap a lot in your play? Not as much yeah. as I used to. It's it's funny because I'll listen to stuff from the nineties now. Like the post Mother's Milk, post Blood Sugar Sex Magic era and other bands, there's so much slap bass in nineties mm-hmm. alternative rock and it's because a lot of times it's jarring to me, like it kind of takes me out of it. I mean, the uh, do you remember that band Live? Mm-hmm. Their first record, I listened to it again recently, and it's there's so much slap, which you would never think of that band with yeah. slap bass, but it's there's a lot of popping and slapping on it, and it's I'm like, calm down, fella, not <laughs> kind of band. Right. I'm sure it was, you know, you know. I remember when I first wa- wanted to try and play bass guitar. I think Flea was the one that was like, oh, that's that's what I want to do. Which is funny because um, I certainly recognize him as, you know, a, a pioneer on the instrument, particularly in, in rock and roll music, but not someone that at this point in my life that, that I would want to try and play like. I can respect him, but I, but he doesn't even play like that anymore. Right. It's, you know, it's very, you know, toned down, but, you know. Yeah, certainly parts of Blood Sugar Sex Magic where he's just playing funky finger style. Right, right. And, and, and I mean, post that record, they've veered more and more into radio-friendly yep. stuff, and it's you know it's become more and more. I mean, 
they're one of those bands that I, I, I lost interest in, you know. I sort of did too. Um, partly after John left, right after Blood Sugar Sex yeah. Magic. But well, and then he came Dave back. Dave Navarro era was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Well, especially because I remember in interviews at the time where Dave Navarro was like, yeah, I don't like funk music. I'm like, why did you join the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Like, <laughs> what's your problem, man? Yeah. Like, it's funny because uh, I, I re-listened to that record one hot minute maybe two months ago. And because Dave Navarro is one of my favorite guitar players, one of my least favorite human beings, but one of hmm. my favorite guitar players. I mean, I've read his autobiography and just... Yeah, I don't know anything about him. And that's that's one of the things I always have a you know the the push and pull of separating the artist from the art because uh, I mean my buddy Greg was talking to me about Tootsie last night he's like it's a perfect movie and I was like it's a pretty good movie he's like no it's perfect <laughs> and I really like Tootsie but I was like I'm like I'm having a real hard time watching anything with Dustin Hoffman right now because the whole there was a whole bunch of sexual misconduct allegations about him last mm. year and. And it's one of those things that, you know, some people, you know, you got to put your blinders on, but it's... I know it's all of the people who've uh, been sort of forced out of the public eye due to those things. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of entertainment that that I'm missing. Right. But it's like, you know, you can't necessarily... Put it all aside. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that, like, so I'm one of those people that I can't throw stuff away. I can give it away. I can trade it away. Why not? But a few years ago, I found uh, at, you know, Goodwill or something like that, uh, it was four almost pristine Bill Cosby albums from, you know, his heyday. Right. You know, um, the, you know, to my brother Russell, whom I slept with, and I think it's called Why Is There Air or something mm-hmm. like that. But classic albums and yeah. in great shape. And a week later, all these allegations came out about them. And it's like, particularly with stand-up comedy, because it's not like they're playing a role in a movie. It's them, even if it's a presentation of themselves that they want you to have, they're passing it off as themselves. Right. So it's impossible for me to like enjoy a Bill Cosby stand-up album, but I'm like, I couldn't bring myself to throw them out. And I was just like, I, I was like, I, I'd like to give them to someone who can enjoy them, who, you know, but I, yeah. I mean, and Bill Cosby, I think is a tough one. That, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like, it's so sad to like, yeah. wow, I don't feel right about listening to those anymore, but right. I used to love them. Yeah. I mean, no even one. the Cosby show, I mean, that brought right. millions of people joy for you know so many years i mean i mean i look at i mean and it's obviously a huge difference but like what happened with roseanne recently like i I didn't see any of the new episodes but i wanted to check it out but i'm like i don't know but i also feel like while i certainly don't agree with or support the comments she said i think that's a world of difference than you know intentionally drugging and sexually violating dozens upon dozens of people it's it's someone who said something that i don't agree with can i still watch the art they create, I should be able to. So, you know. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and one of the ones I listened to a lot was The Nerdist, or was it become? ID10T, ID10 which yeah. is a terrible name. Yes. Before. Yeah. And now 
it's been it's, it's been hard. radio silence for over a month, and yeah. it's it's interesting because I was like, and I've wondered about that because there's been there's been no official, and I'm sure his handlers are like let yeah radio silence will just supposedly he just got his job back on the Talking Dead though. Interesting. Um, why it's crazy because he had his whole talking with Chris Hardwick and that the whole second season was done and a week before it came out um, the allegations came out and whatever network was putting it out canceled the entire thing so they filmed it all these guests had been on and it's like but i also wonder the flip side of it like all the hundreds of people that have talked to him before are they like now feeling like burnt like is yeah. there any sort of like Guilt by association. Uh, well, I wonder. Residue. If, yeah, I wonder if any of them can be like, we would like our episode taken down. We don't want it available. Yeah. But I, I, I'm sure there's paperwork signed that once you do this, it's the property of whoever. Um, which is too bad because I really enjoyed his show. And uh, I, and again, I don't know all the facts, and I'm I'm never going to know all the facts sure. of what happened. It's it's one of those things that. Uh, just reading what I read, I'm like, it sounds like you had a terrible relationship and that's part of why it ended. Right. So like, I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I do think some of that stuff needs to be taken with degrees too, because I'm just like, well, it sounds like that's not awesome. That's also a lot of that behavior is not uncommon in a lot of unhealthy relationships. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know if it's abuse or not. And I also the, the fact that they came out the week before his new project was supposed to come out. I'm like that, you know, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who knows? Um, You know, not to say that I think that people like victims shouldn't be believed, but I also feel like there needs to be some sort of due process. Cause in the last nine months, it's, you know, really been, trial by you know social media i mean a lot of careers have you know tanked or at least been put on the back burner who knows i mean i don't know maybe someone like louis ck can come back from it i mean especially for the fact that and this is not like an endorsement of anything that he did by any means but i respect the fact that he came out and said everything i'm being accused of i did Right. He's like, you know, I didn't realize I had this impact on people and my actions have now influenced a bunch. He's like, I had a bunch of people working on stuff for me that now don't have jobs. I fucked up big time. I apologize. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to. Yeah, you got to wonder what's the route back. Is it just time? Yeah. I mean, mm. it's weird how it works because, you know, Paul Rubens, uh, everyone, you know, and this is going back 25 years, uh, Everyone thought he would never work again, and, you know, he still has a career. Um, Robert Downey Jr. has a career. I mean, maybe the fact that the only real victims in in their misdoings were themselves. Hmm. I don't know. But, I mean, even, it seems like everything's pretty much forgiven with Mel Gibson, too. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, I don't know. It's it's an interesting time that we live in. You know, I definitely yeah. don't have any answers for it. It's just, I mean, I, I do think 
it's good because I think it's been a wake up call for a lot of men, not just in the entertainment industry, but just in society in general, realizing, well, the way we've been behaving our entire lives is not acceptable. And the 52% of the world who is negatively affected by it is not putting up with it anymore. So, you know, I think a lot of men, you know, myself certainly included, have had to do a lot of self-analyzing and growing up in the last, you know, yeah. three quarters Only of a year. Think back and go, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done in yeah. the past? Yeah. Well, that's, I, I think most men in, in this culture have had that inner dialogue and be like, have I done? And, you know, a lot of it, unfortunately, is probably wasn't intentional, wasn't vindictive. I mean, I looked at just how I was brought up to interact with the opposite sex a lot of just oh well this is what it means to be a man and to you know court a woman is just disrespectful um and it's just taken a lot of talking to people and finding out oh no you know a lot of people don't appreciate being spoken to that way and you know um if someone you know uh rebuffs your advances then you need to take them seriously it doesn't mean pursue them harder so, you know, mm. uh, you know, some people figured that out on their own years ago, and some people had to wait for celebrities to have, you know, huge, huge fallouts in their career to realize, oh, I shouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm glad I'm not in the dating scene nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah. It's always that, that moment when you go from, like, you're hanging out with a person to bridging the gap between right. sure. sexual uh, encounters. Yeah. Now I wouldn't know how to sure. get there. Sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's um, I mean, it's not something that I'm great at, uh, you know, being a single guy, but it's also one of those people that the older I get, the less of a priority it mm. is in my life. It's just, I'm like, I've only got finite amount of, free time if we can't hang then okay i got stuff to do so i mean it's funny that you said i mean i knew i think i i think i actually knew your wife before i knew you i think that's right um because i met Edie at the letty center for the performing arts in epping god probably 27 28 years ago are Um, you acting uh, no, at the time I was working in the lighting booth, which okay. she was as well. My, my father and one of my brothers were in a production of Charlotte's Web. Okay. Um, they, they both did several productions there and I know Edie worked on a lot of different stuff there. Um, and I, I, how long, how long did you guys date before you got married? Quite a while. Yeah. We met, um, at UNH in, uh, like 86. 87 dated briefly then yeah and then she got married to somebody else oh, okay. her high school beau and then uh after that i actually started working for her before we started dating okay she owned this business before oh okay so yeah so, so you guys knew each other the entire time i've known her but it wasn't until Maybe it was when you guys got married that I made the connection. I, I mean, because obviously... Uh, well, she would have been um, running sound for Choosy Moms back when we played together at the Elvis Room and stuff. 
which was before we were married. It might have been that, because I'm trying to remember... I know we played a couple gigs with you guys. The one that I remember is we were outside of, I think it was called Main Street Music in Durham. Hmm. Uh, it was there's like that that little alleyway. Um, now it's like a high end thrift store. Uh, it's really high end. I, I popped in there like a month and a half ago because uh, a, a buddy of mine gave me a tip that they had some some vintage Star Wars figures for sale, hmm. which. They were from the the '90s, so I'm like, eh, vintage. To, I mean, and he's 24, so I'm like, vintage to you means a different right. thing than to me. But and but there was this really nice table that they had there, and you know, it was a used table, and I, but it had like fold up panels, and it had a, a desk that folded underneath, and I was like, oh, this is really nice. What are you asking for? She's like, oh, well, it's got this ding and this ding, so we're asking like 600, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was kind of like, you know, this is a college town, like you're not like. She's like, oh yeah, we get these in every couple months, and we usually sell them right away. I was like, wow, okay. I mean, it's well, there's, a small there's place, a, so. a whole different breed of uh, college student at UNH nowadays. Sure, from uh, Asia and stuff. They yeah, they come and rent those really high priced apartments. Okay, and drive really high priced cars. Yeah, and I heard a rumor that sometimes when they leave, they just abandon the cars. Fair enough. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, if you've got that much disposable income, and if you're moving back to overseas, yeah. like what's the you know? Yeah, apparently, they can't take them like to Hong Kong or whatever. Sure, sure. Digitally, it's ridiculously expensive to do that. So. Interesting. That's very interesting. Huh. Um, it's so funny. It's uh, the older I get, also the the more comfortable with being old. I get, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I know some people listen to this be like, 42 is not that old, but. Right. I just had my 50th birthday. Yeah, I know. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things that I had a realization because I have two, uh, I, I actually have three younger stepsisters, but the oldest one has, you know, numerous children and has her and her husband live at Sanford. So I, I don't have much contact with her or, you know, frequent contact with her, but being around my two younger stepsisters, they're 22 and 24 now. Uh, but I've known them since they were, you know, 16 and, uh, or you know, 14, yeah, 14 and 16. Mm-hmm. And just hearing them with their friends and hearing all this new lingo and, you know, uh, which I sound old just saying the word lingo, but, you know, just <laughs> different phrases that I had no idea what they were what they were talking about. And at this point I'm like, not only do I not understand what the kids are saying, I don't care. I'm just like, okay, that's yeah, <laughs> fine. Uh, I, I've, you know, being called sir at, at stores and restaurants unironically. I'm just like, who are you? Oh, uh-huh. I'm the old guy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, nothing I can do about it. So it is what it is. It happens to all of us. You haven't really got any gray hair going yet. Well, I don't have any, real hair going your beard <laughs> no i have a couple completely white beard these days <laughs> i um yeah but you, you see you've still got a full head of hair I'd, yes. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer a full head of gray hair to you know the the, the flesh-toned head of hair i have right now um yeah if i get more than like four or five days without shaving it then you're like oh i see why he shaves his head i see it's funny because it gets around day three i'm like Oh, it looks like it's coming in evenly. Maybe I'll grow it out a little bit. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, uh, 
I think it was the white chest hairs that I was like, okay, getting old. Mm. You know, whatever. I I always thought it was funny that, and I've heard since I had this thought, I've heard a stand-up comedian, I don't remember who, but articulate it better and funnier than me. But I just think it's interesting when the body starts making white white hair. It's like uh, it's too much energy for us to put the color in anymore. Yeah. I'm just like. How about just stop making the hair then? Like, and particularly when, like, because I have like four or five hairs on each ear that mm-hmm. they grow out really long and seemingly overnight. So every couple of days, usually when I shave my head, I check the ears and gotta gotta trim the ear hair too. I haven't had any ear hair issues yet, but nose hairs drive me nuts. <sighs> it's, I, I I've never had the nose hair problem. It's the the ear hair, and I'll I'll look at older guys in. Like retail situations and whatnot, I just notice people a lot, and I'll see older guys, and it's like, just it almost looks like black moss coming. I'm like, dude, yeah. take care of your ears. Like, I'm like, there's nobody in your life that's like, hey, you gotta, you, you gotta take care of that. But you know, who knows? How do you shave your ears? How do I shave my ears? Oh. I, I just take a, I just use a disposable razor, hold it low, low about, and just do that. It's a, and it's you know for. For half a day, I'll have silky smooth earlobes. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but it's just one of those things that... I have super sensitive skin, too, so, like, that... I mean, that's primarily why I usually have a beard. About every, like, ten months, I'll sh- shave everything off, and then my face will be in pain for three days, and mm. I'm like, oh, that's right. And I also have a baby face, so it's, I'm just like, that's why... That looks weird. Plus, being a big dude, when you get rid of this, you can see the double chin. Where this, oh, yeah. you know. So I'm just like, ah, the 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 goatee is like an anchor for my face. So, uh, um, so you, you've been someone because I think I think it was around '93. That's when Sam I am slash Hank. That's when I joined the band, and you guys were already playing. So you've been playing music pretty much consistently for. 25 years so at least half of your life probably longer Um, yeah i started playing tuba uh just before the fifth grade okay and then took up bass probably in the sixth grade yeah and then you know that was just school band music and stuff yeah um trying to remember when i had a first rock band experience probably close to my senior year in high school yeah and you're you know obviously we talked about you just playing the Chip Palooza, your 50th birthday show. Like, um, music not being your primary vocation. Like, what what keeps you making music all these years? Uh, I just love it. There was some years where I wasn't playing that much, like after Choosy Moms um, disbanded. (laughs) There's actually a couple years there where I was just like going to karaoke contest just to sing and get on stage yeah i don't know some sort of addiction to that i guess sure which is weird because i don't feel overly comfortable on stage in front of people yeah um but then after that joined the um jumbo circus peanuts and got busier with that but i think what spurred me into playing 
as much as I do now was um, I joined Rhythm Method when their bass player Chad Owen died and got doing some gigs with them. And then at one point I realized their their calendar was sort of empty. I was like, oh man, I really am digging this playing. Right. I was making some money at it and getting get out and playing, which is right. fun. And uh, at that same time, Drew Wyman was talking about leaving Now Is Now. And so I was like, hey, I'd be interested in that gig. And from there, I got really busy because yeah. Now Is Now plays quite a bit. And then over the last couple years, I, um, maybe just the last year or so, I said to myself, I'm going to take whatever gig comes along. I'm sure. Like filling in for whoever. Or whatever. Yeah. So right now I'm pretty busy with several different things. Nice. Saturday phone call at Mailforce. That's weird. Yeah, you guys aren't open on Saturdays, are you? Not typically. Huh. It's my wife. She doesn't even know I'm here. What are you doing? Um, yeah, so... I don't, know, I don't know what makes me keep doing it. Just I really dig playing the bass. Yeah. And I'm getting better at it all the time, which is cool. And also the last few years, I started singing more. Yeah. I sing some leads with Jumbo Circus Peanuts here nice. and there. My wife plays bass. Yeah. Some songs that I sing. And um, a lot of background vocals. And now it's now harmonizing with Mitch. Yeah. Which I really dig. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I mean, there's... And, you know, I wasn't I wasn't even necessarily looking for a definitive why just because it's, you know, I've had people ask right. why, you know, like I, I'll do a painting or I'll do a drawing. And I, I mean, I had that happen yesterday. I, I did a Thursday, I did a portrait of a buddy of mine, uh, big beard and everything. And his mom, uh, you know, messaged me and she's like, because I, I, I put the tag on it. I, I was joking, kind of, but I was like. Even I have to take a break from drawing naked ladies sometimes. And uh, <laughs> she's like, so why, you know, she's like, why my son of everyone taking a break? And I was, you know, and she was someone that didn't follow me on f- Facebook uh, up until that point, didn't know anything about it. But uh, I was like, oh, I've just been friends with him for a while. But she's like, you know, what inspires you to do this? What inspires you? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm like not even annoyed at her. I was just like, I legitimately don't know. It's just, you get that, like, this is what I've got to do. Like, and I think that's the the difference between like an artist and, uh, which for years I cringed at that term because it feels pretentious, but in every sense of the word, you know, an artist is someone who pursues their, their given art form, regardless of, if there's a commercial gain for it or whatnot, it's just something they have to do. I mean, it's great that you're getting a ton of gigs and, you know, you can make money on it, but you're someone that's the entire time I've known you has consistently performed music. So, you know, you're, I think of you as a musician, not, you know, someone who runs the mail force thing, even though, you know, if someone were, were to run into you on the street and be like, Oh, what do you do? You know, I don't, you know, I don't know if, this would be your first response or yeah most of the time when i'm meeting people now i'm meeting them at a gig right and so they know a lot of people say oh so you make a living off of music like no unfortunately if i could find a way to do that yeah i'd love to but well what do you do then i tell them about the day job but yeah 
But I've always, for me, I've always looked at the day job, or as the case may be now, the day jobs, as a means to an end so I can do what I love. Absolutely. Uh, and I know people that, I mean, you know, we, we, we know some people in common that make their living making music that maybe aren't necessarily artistically satisfied, but they're making a living doing it. And it's just like, um, I still have a passion for doing, doing art and hopefully always will. So I'm going to do it regardless. Yeah. It's great when I can make money doing it, but I do it regardless. And it kind of seems like you do the same thing with music. Yeah. Being self-employed running this business is great for being a musician. Sure. In that, I don't have to be here certain hours specifically. Sure. I mean, sometimes the the workload and the customers dictate that I am here, but if I need to take a Thursday afternoon off because I've got an early gig or something, sure, I can do it, got that which idea. is great. Yeah. But certainly, like, I've got a bunch of friends now, Pete Peterson from Rhythm Method, Mitch uh, from House Now, that are making their living solely off of music. They're, you know, guitar singers they can go out and Play sure. by themselves, which yeah, yeah. I, can, I can't really do with the bass. And every time I try to pick up a guitar, the strings are just too damn small and close together for right. me. Like, right. But yeah, I, w- I would love to be able to do that. Hmm. Um, but then it, I'm like, well, if I was doing that, would I just stop doing this? Right. I, yeah. Sometimes I do burn the candle at both ends. I realized recently that I'm a sundowner. Yeah, like some afternoons I'll be like, oh, I'm just so tired and don't feel good. And yeah. Then as soon as the sun goes down and I'm like, where's the gig? Let's go. Yeah, for sure. I'm... And then unfortunately after the gig, I'm wired for a couple hours. And yeah. So yeah, if I do have a gig on a work night, the next morning is something tough. Rough, but oh, for sure. I mean, I yesterday I had grandiose plans of getting a bunch of stuff done in the afternoon, and because uh, it was relatively warm took a nap which turned into about 10 hours of sleep i mean i you know i woke up several times and i was like i could get up and do some stuff you know and this is 10 o'clock at night and i was like i'm gonna sleep for a few more hours and then you know one o'clock rolls around I'm like ah, sleep again four o'clock well now it's almost morning i might as well just stay in bed you know it's it i find for me the summertime i'm less and less uh, productive when it's this hot too. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Last night was the first night in over a week that I went to bed before one o'clock in the morning. Really? I actually had like a good string of gigs. And then on a couple off nights, I went out to other people's jam nights and played nice. too. Nice. It was fun. But, um, so yeah, I got to bed, I don't know, probably 10 o'clock last night. I have this, uh, big Brown, uh, chocolate lab who uh, likes to howl in the middle of the night in yeah. his sleep. And last night he did it three times. Woke <laughs> up out of a sound sleep to this, like, air horn siren. Right, right. And so, because I went to bed early and I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning to that, couldn't get to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So, that sucked. Yeah. I ended up uh, watching a whole bunch of comedians in cars getting coffee. Oh, nice. I am... Um... Yeah, my internet's spotty at home, so I, sometimes I can get my Netflix to work, sometimes not. But I'm also trying to trying to plow through the Mission Impossible series to see the uh, – because mm-hmm. I had never seen any of them. 
Really? And I think uh, you're better off that way. It, well, it's funny because my buddy Greg, who I see a lot of movies with, uh, he loves the series, but he also loves Tom Cruise. I don't love Tom Cruise. Um, I'm halfway through part four right now. So it's basically, I, I, I found part three entertaining. Um, and part four so far has got me. It's funny. It's because I've saw the previews for the sixth one. And I'm like, that actually looks interesting, but I've never seen any of them. So I kind of want to know what's going on. Mm. And it's funny because particularly the first two, I'm like, I never need to watch these movies again. But I mean, it's to me, it's it's a variation on the James Bond thing. I mean, I know it's based on the TV show, but it's very different than the original TV mm-hmm. show. So, and again, it's Tom Cruise. Uh, I mean, I was joking with my buddy when I was watching three because Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain in that, and uh, he's like, he's like, he's the second best villain in the series. And I was like, Tom Cruise being the first, right? <laughs> and he's just like, no, I love him. He's he's funny because I just don't get the Tom Cruise love. Yeah, it always seems to be like this at least one scene of just utter cheesy acting. Yeah, but again, for me, I think it's not separating the artist from the art in that I think the biggest thing I don't like about Tom Cruise is the Scientology thing. Mm-hmm. And like, and I hate people judging other people based on their religious beliefs, but I, I'm like, that's not a religion in any sense of the word. I'm like, yeah. it's an elitist club. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure there are a few blue-collar workers out there that are also Scientologists, but I'm like, come on, the guy who created the religion, like, died in my lifetime. There's no way that (laughs) anyone who is a Scientologist thinks that this is true. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure there are, but I'm just like, come on, really? Really? The guy who wrote Battlefield Earth also founded your religion, and (laughs) and that that seems to resonate with you. Okay. Mm. I don't know. Religion in general is just beyond my, my grasp. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, being a being a pastor's kid, that's that's how I am now. And so that got you into heavy music, yeah. and out of religion. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's funny too because my older brother is is a pastor himself. So it's just like you know, really, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing. And it's just like oh, so that resonated with him, and he's like, yeah, that seems legit. But you know, and not even trying to poke fun at him. It's you know. In some ways, you know, because I've met several people in various faiths who I have no doubt in my mind that what they believe, they believe 100% that this is, you know, and I'm like, some ways I'm envious of, like, wishing I had something in my life that made me feel that way, but I just don't, you know, you know, I try and keep my ears and my mind open to other people's opinions and process it stuff that makes sense to me add it onto my belief system and stuff that doesn't be like okay cool i don't don't adhere to that Mm. and that's okay i don't know well that's a that's a that's a a good quasi profound place to stop sure um i appreciate you taking the time it was good sitting down and chatting with you yeah man yeah do you have a gig tonight i do i'm in portland maine who are you playing with now is now. Now is now. At Rira. So it's a 10 o'clock start. Be another late night. And then it's about an hour drive back from there. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I'm trying to, that's a, that's a great, uh, great little place to, to see a show at. I've, uh, who did I see? I saw Dreadnought and, 
it's not thanks to gravity. It's when Andy Happel and Drew and Rocket have their other hmm. band. I forget. It's uh, it's basically thanks to gravity without Sean Daniels. Right. Um, they played there, and it was this was about a year ago. But uh, Duncan Watts was playing with oh, Dreadnought right, at the time. Okay. That's why I was there. So, uh, yeah, it's a cool little venue. Well, I hope you have a successful gig, or Thanks. at least enjoyable. I, mean, I don't yeah. know what success is. You get up and play in front of people, and they don't throw tomatoes at you. That's a success. Yeah. When, good, when there's good, happy people in the room, that's what we look for. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Good to see you.